It is Parshat Bahalotcha this week. Back at home, Dovi, correct? You're reading Bahalotcha? Correct. So we're going to study something in Bahalotcha. And just a, a note about Parshat Bahalotcha. Bahalotcha is the crossroads. Because Parshat, Sefer Bar is two different books, two very different books. It is the first, what we'll call 10 chapters, which takes us to the middle of Bahalotcha, which is glorious. It is all um, trumpets blaring. Literally, as we're going to see, uh, as Am Yisrael prepares to leave Har Sinai on the triumphal march, to paraphrase uh, the Rov's famous uh, drasha on this, uh, to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, and then uh, in the middle of Parshat Balotcha, everything goes south, it goes haywire, and most or good part of the rest of Sefer Midbar is one tragedy after another, one rebellion after another, one challenge after another um, that ends up. Then 38 years later, with us on the eve of entering the land with a whole new generation, etc. So I decided that, you know, in the spirit of Yemei Tashtumei Shavuot, to stay with the festive part and to look at the section that's right near the end of the first part of Bamidbar, which is chapter 10. Chapter 10 uh, is introduced with Ten Psukim, how nice, uh, about the Chatzotzrot. And I want to look at the Chatzotzrot. Uh, because I think that they will shed light not only on themselves, but also on several other vital and central things that we do. Uh, but there are some difficulties in the psukim that I'm going to point out along the way. All right, so we'll take a look at the parsha. Here we have it in front of us, source one. Aseilacha at the beginning of chapter one. So Hashem commands Moshe that he should make two cornets made of silver, and they're made of a single piece of silver, meaning each one is made of a single piece of silver, just like the menorah. There's something there, we're going to come back to it. And we're being told that Moshe is to use them in order to do two things, to summon the people and to travel. Now, we've already got the machanot. We have essentially five or six machanot that already exist, machanei Yehuda, machanei Reuven, machanei Ephraim, machanei Dan, machanei Halavim, and machanei Ashkina. So machanei Halavim, machanei Ashkina, you might call one machanei, because the Shechina, the Mishkan, doesn't walk itself, but Masata machanot means the travel of the machanot. Now, the details, the takum bahen, they will blast them, which means now, by the way, Moshe is to make these, and they are for him, l'cha, and yet he's not going to be the one blasting them, other people. Now, by the way, other people, well, there's two chatzot so there's two people who will be blasting. Who are they? We don't know yet. We'll find out. So when they blast them, and Tekiah is a blast, then all of the congregation will gather petach oel moed. That's a vital piece, cog in the puzzle that we're going to try to unravel today. Which means they blast one of them, which means one of them is going to blast one of the Israel. Then who will gather to you? The heads of the tribes. So now before we go any further, let's see what the Haim and Ata is, meaning Moshe's role and the other guys' role, whoever they are, who will be named later. These are going to be instruments for Moshe's use, because Moshe needs to direct two things, and he's directing two things 
among hundreds of thousands, if not more, people, which is very hard to do with just your voice. And so therefore, the Chatzot will be a way to both gather the people and to get them started on their journey. So now, if two of them are blasted, then everybody gathers to whom? To Moshe. And Moshe is not the one doing the blasting, but these blasts will summon everybody to Moshe. If only one of them is blasted, then summoned to Moshe will be the heads of the tribes. We're not sure if the Nassim here means only 12 of the Nassim, or if it means the Rashi Batim, but in other words, it's a representative form of leadership that's going to come. Okay, now, that all explains the Mikra Ha'ida. In other words, these two Chatzotzot will be used to summon people, and there's two different ways to do it. Both of them are the Tkiah, but if it's both are blasted, then everybody comes. If one is blasted, then only the leaders come. Okay, remember the second half was Ulamasata Machanot. So then Utkatem Trua, when you blast a Trua, which is some sort of a broken sound, then the camps that are east, meaning Yehuda, will then start to travel. So in other words, when what's gonna the, the images, when people see that the cloud lifts and they're ready to travel, they'll wait for the signal, they will hear a two chatzotzrot blasting a broken sound, and the first camp to travel, the camp in the east, will get up and start traveling. Utkatem trua shenit, and then you'll blow a second blast, second trua, that is. Then the group that is on the south. And by the way, what this pasuk doesn't continue, and interestingly in the Septuagint does continue, says, and then there'll be a third blast, and then the camp, the one that's camped in the nor in the uh, west will travel, and there'll be a fourth blast, and the camp that's camped in the north, Machanedan, will travel, and then um, and then you have Yitruayitkulamasehem. So the text very clearly says that you blast a trua for traveling. So by the way, this is very simple, and the text now summarizes it by saying, When you're gathering the people, you do a tzkiah, not a trua. So in other words, the end of Pasuk Vav, and they're all of Pasuk Zion, is sort of a schematic uh, summary of the different sounds. Trua yitkulamasehem, when they're traveling, it's a trua. When you gather the people, it's not a trua. Okay, and we can all tell the difference between those sounds. One is a flat sound, one is a broken sound. Beyond that, we don't need to be concerned. There's one piece of the puzzle left in the mystery, which is they will blast. So Moshe is not doing the blasting. So who's the they? And by the way, Moshe can't do the blasting if some of the blasting has to be both chatzotzot simultaneously. So who are, who's going to do it? Uvnei aharon hakohanim Okay, which means Aaron's not doing it. Aaron's sons, of whom at this point we're not sure if there are three and four or four, we're not sure exactly when this is taking place. Um, two or four, we'll assume this is two, and it's after Nadav and Abihu, and that means that it's Elazar and Tamar are going to be making the blast, and that's why there's two, two chatzotzrot, two koanim, and this will be a permanent chukat olam. Now, that's a very weird thing to say. And that needs clarification. Because after all, summoning the congregation and traveling is a function of the very temporary and ideally extremely temporary desert situation where we're living in camps and we're all together and where we both have to move and we have to summon everybody together. 
Nobody's imagining that we're going to be settling in all corners of Eretz Israel, and suddenly somebody somewhere is going to sound a trumpet, everybody's going to go running to some central location, and we're not traveling anymore. So it's a very odd thing to say, So the next two psukim explain that, which is, meaning this is something that will happen when you're in the land, you're going to go to war. You have an enemy who's attacking you. Then you're going to blast a truah with the chatzotzrot. A truah, just like you're doing now for travel. You're going to do it later on for war. And that's the pregnant phrase here. What does that mean? You'll be remembered before God. What does the truah have to be remembered before God? And God will save you. You'll be saved from your enemies. Now, First of all, God doesn't need to be reminded about anything, which is a big problem in the whole notion of Zikaron and the Zikaronot and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Zikaron. What does that mean? We'll talk about that somewhat. But what does it mean? How will the blast of a shofar be bring some sort of memory? A memory of what? That's part of the question. And then the next pasuk fills in the picture, but doesn't answer the question. Because remember, we said there's two kinds of sounds: is the tkiah and the truah. And the tkiah is used to gather the people, that, and the truah is used to travel. But the, the truah is going to be forever. How's the truah forever? Because later on, when you're in the land, there'll be war, and you'll use the truah when you'll go to war. And that'll bring your memory up before God, and God will save you. What about the tkiah? So that also has its place. Meaning, all the days that you're bringing korbanot, which, by the way, is not happening in the Midbar, meaning the, the Musafim, etc., all only happening when you come into the land. Then you do the Tkiah. You, you blast the Tkiah when you bring the Korban Olan, when you bring the Korban Shlamim. And again, And those will be a memory. And the notion is that God will accept them favorably because some sort of favorable memory will be raised before God. Okay, so we've got a whole host of problems here. Notice, by the way, the chiastic structure of the paragraph. It starts with mikraha eda, which is the tkiah, then masata machanot, then traveling. It tells us how to blast the tkiah to gather either all the people or the representatives. Then it talks about the truah for traveling. Then it talks about the truah in permanent situations of war, and then the tkiah in permanent situations of korbanot. It's a beautiful picture with a lot of questions. The big question, of course, is how are these things later on in time going to affect the memory? And by the way, why don't they affect the memory when we blast them now? The only place where memory, zikaron, shows up here is in the last two psukim, which describe the chatzotzrot's use later, after the Midbar. So what's going on in this whole parasha? Also, in what way is this connected, if at all, to the shofar? Because when we think tkiah, we think shofar. We think truah, we think shofar. These are not shofar, these are chatzotzrot. Shofar is a piece of an animal. This is metal, this is silver, which is uh, melted and carved out from one piece of silver into a cornet. How are these things related at all, if at all? So I'd like to suggest that the broad approach to this, in order to understand the broad approach to this, we have to turn back only one line, basically, to the previous parsha 
that comes right before the Chatzot's wrote. Um, the Paraktet is, again, it's a Christian division, but chapter 9 is made up of two things. It's made up of Pesach, B'Shana Shani to Pesach Shani, whole parsha of Pesach in the Midbar, and it's followed with this parshia. And this parshia goes as follows. And this is before our Chatzot's wrote. Uviyom Mishkan, so on the day that the Mishkan was erected, that's what we read at the very end of Shemot. The, co- the cloud covered the Mishkan. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. All the way till morning, and a cloud during the day. That's how it always was. In the desert, of course. Now, that is just the permanent state. And now we find about moving. And when the cloud lifted, that's when Israel traveled. And when the cloud rested, that's where they camped. Okay. Right now, it seems to be, just like with the Chatzot a signal. Just like the Chatzot signal, moving, signal, gathering. Here, the cloud signals settling and moving. Okay. They traveled and they camped based on God's word. And as long as the cloud was there, they camped there. Now, this already seems to be a little extra because we've already said it. And now the rest of this seems to be absolutely superfluous. If the cloud was there for a long time, maintained that and didn't travel. Right? There's no cloud, there's no cloud moving, no reason to travel. Sometimes it will be there only for a few days. They would camp and travel based on God's word. Again, the same thing. And it goes on. Sometimes the cloud will rest at night and the morning it'll travel. And they'll travel. Maybe it'll be 24 hours. Meaning the cloud could be there for years. Cloud could be there for hours. Either way, B'nai Yisrael traveled when the cloud lifted, and when the cloud settled, they camped, and they stayed camped until the cloud lifted. Or Yomayim, two days, or Chodesh Yomim, or a month, or a year. They camped again, and this is so repetitious. And the summary is, they camped and they traveled based on God's word. They maintained God's watch based on the way Moshe, Hashem told Moshe. Okay, what is going on in this parasha? So there is an absolutely delicious series. And we have to look at the whole thing. Of Rabbeinu Avadis Forno, 15th century Livorno, that addresses the issue of the seeming superfluousness of this parasha. And and explains it beautifully. I'm just going to read it through because it's just it's so great. This entire parsha is speaking about the great merit of Bnei Israel. That they followed God in the desert. And yes, your ears are already perking up from your your meow. We'll see it. Rishonav, what's the first thing? They would camp wherever the cloud rested. Even though if it was a place that was desolate, there was no there was no oasis there, no fruit trees there, they'd camp. And then the second thing it says 
שהיו ממתינים את המתנתו זמן ארוך. They would say, stay there and wait, as long as God said to wait, even if it was a terrible place, they'd stay there. They wouldn't travel. Meaning, they didn't send spies out or scouts out to say, let's see if we can find a nicer place. If the cloud is rested, we're not moving. That's it. And it adds on. Some, the next thing was, sometimes it could be there for a, small, a short period of time. Right? What's the third great statement about B'nai Israel? Sometimes they happen to be camped in a place that was very good for them and their and their cattle and their flocks, place to graze. Right? Maybe it was only there a few days. They would only camp there because God said so. Not because they liked the place, but because God was said to camp there. And they would move because of God. Meaning they'd even leave this very nice place, but if God said to move. In other words, Sforno says each one of these psukim is heightening our awareness of the great loyalty of B'nai Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and their unwillingness to deviate from God's command, whether it meant to stay, even if it was not a great place, or to move, even if they were leaving a good place. He continues. Sometimes it could be overnight. This is the fourth beautiful thing it tells about B'nai Israel. They, can't, they, they would camp, and they didn't know how long the cloud was going to be there. It could be one night. There wasn't enough time to get settled in. I want you to understand what this means. If you're going on a camping trip, from here to somewhere far away, from Los Angeles to Washington State, and you're going to camp in the Cascades, and you have no idea, am I going to stay in this campsite for a year, or am I going to stay in this campsite for an hour? You don't know. That can be very unsettling. Right? So, sorry. So one point to hear is they never traveled at night. That's one thing. Now, sometimes it will be two days or a month or a year. This is the fifth thing. Sometimes they didn't have time to settle in. It was overnight. And sometimes they had lots of time to settle in. And the minute the cloud went up, boom, they moved. Take it for sin kol hachanotem. And they tear everything down, including everything they'd work for however long to build up a uh, water reservoir, whatever it might be, they just picked up and moved. They would camp, even if it was only for a short time, they didn't have what to set up, ability to set up. And they would travel based on God's word. Even after they'd set it, everything up. Now, what's this forno doing here? The Sforno, first of all, is bothered by what we're bothered by. We read this description, and this description is redundant. This description is giving us details that are unnecessary. We know whenever the cloud rested, they stopped. Whenever the cloud lifted, they moved. The fact that it might have been a day or two days, not only not at night, but it could have been one night, it could have been a whole year of nights, we don't know. Anytime that it was, they moved. So say that once. 
The Svarna is saying, if you read this carefully, you can see that each one of these descriptions highlights a new level of loyalty. There's a beautiful description of B'nai Yisrael. And as I'm sure you anticipated, it is a description that really finds its best expression in the beginning of the second chapter of Yirmiyahu. We all know this passage. This is at the end of the, of the first passage in Yirmiyahu, his commission as an avi. Go into the streets of Yerushalayim and let everybody hear you say the following. This is what God says. I remember the, the loyalty of your young years. The love of our wedding canopy, which was following me in the desert, in an unplanted land. I remember that loyalty. I remember that fondly, and therefore I'm going to take care of you, and the breed is forever because of that tremendous loyalty. Okay. And that's the loyalty that we hear about in this parasha. Now, let's go back to our parasha and see what, what's going on. We're told to make these chatzotzrot immediately after that description of B'nai Israel's loyalty. And the chatzotzrot are going to be in the They serve a simple Function, which is utilitarian, and, and that's all. How are you going to call it together? How are you going to get ready to travel? Trua. Very good, very simple. And that's what its function is going to be. However, in that sense, the chatzotzrot are purely a temporary device to be used until you come into the land, which is supposed to be a couple of weeks. But God says these chatzotzrot are forever. Why? Because even this short period in the desert, which is supposed to be a short period, and this short period from when you got to Arsinai, when you pick up from Arsinai and come to the land, it's supposed to be a week or two. It should be 11 days until they get into the land. Turns out to be 38 plus years more, but it should be very short. Is, um, is a period in which they are demonstrating an unbelievable loyalty and allegiance to God. So now what's going to come with, happen when they come into the land? You come into the land and you're going to have war. What will happen? Whether you're being attacked or whether you're on the attack. You're going to take the chatzot's throat and blast the chatzot's throat with the same sound that you use to move. Why? To remind yourselves and bring up the, the valiant and glorious memory of your allegiance to God when you travel, to be remembered before God and God will save you. In other words, it is by your reminding yourself and your raising the memory of that tremendous loyalty in the desert, of following God wherever and following God whenever, and at the drop of a hat, or for years, wherever God camped, that's where you stayed. That's the loyalty that God is going to then rem- be reminded of Ki'ilu and to save you. What about the other piece of the puzzle? So you notice that the chatzotzrot are not shofarot. A shofar is a simple animal product. A chatzotzrot, on the other hand, is made of metal, and it is miksha. Miksha means from one piece. What else do you know that's miksha? What else do you know of that is commanded to be made from one single piece of metal? Menorah. Menorah is. And what else? The kaport and the kruvim. 
miksha. It's all one piece of gold. One piece of gold, kapod kruvim, one piece of gold, the menorah. In other words, by calling the chatzotzrot miksha, and saying the demand, they come from one piece, means the chatzotzrot are clay mikdash. These are not just functional. They're functional but ritual. They belong to the mikdash, as you see in miksha. Right? The fact that they're from a single unit. And if they belong to the mikdash, then that means that when Moshe is summoning the elders, he's not just summoning them for a town meeting. Because where is he summoning them to? Petach or He summons them in front of the Ormoed. Whether it's all of Am Yisrael or just the leaders, they come to in front of Ormoed. Because the Chatzotra is associated with the Mikdash. Now the Mikdash in the desert is a place of communication. God communicating with Moshe, and then Moshe communicating with the elders and communicating with Bnei Yisrael. The Mishkan becomes the Mikdash, which is a place where we communicate with God through our Korbanot. And so therefore, what's the command? When you bring the Korbanot, blast the Chatzotzot. Blast, just like Moshe did and summon the elders and summon the people. It's a function of Mikdash. And that will be a Zikaron. A Zikaron of what? The zikaron of the fact that when Bnei Yisrael gathered in the Midbar, where did they gather? They didn't gather near the oasis. They didn't gather in a shady spot. They gathered in front of Ohamoed because they recognized that the Ohamoed is the center of their life. Saviva Mishkan Yachanu. We camp around the Mishkan. The Mishkan is the center of what we do. And therefore, when you bring Korbanot, especially on the festive days, you blast the Chatzotzrot to again raise the memory, the memory that in the Mibar you had the recognition that the Mishkan is central. And so these two functions of allegiance, or these two, ex- these two expressions of allegiance to God in the desert, which at the time were purely functional, but done in a way that demonstrated allegiance, then become purely ritual as ways of reminding us of that tremendous allegiance, both in travel and in gathering that we traveled only when Hashem said to travel, and when we gathered, we gathered in front of Hashem to get that communication. So therefore, later on, that becomes part of of what we do, both when we go to war and when we bring korbanot. Now take a look at an interesting piece. The Torah does not, is not satisfied by saying, okay, when you go to war, you're going to have this. The Torah insists that even if many years go by without war, God willing, once a year, I want you to remember this event. I want you to remember your loyalty in the desert. And therefore, once a year, I want you to take a shofar. We'll talk about why a shofar. And not a chatzotzrah. And blast it as a what? Zichron truah. That's what we call Rosh Hashanah. Zichron truah. Besides Yom truah, Zichron truah. So yes, the Yerushalmi says, Zichron truah is that that's because when it falls on Shabbat, we don't actually blow the shofar. But take a look at the Rashbam here. Zichron Truah. Al Yedeha Truah Tizachru Lamakom. Through the Truah you'll be remembered by God. Kirichtiv Aritam Machatzotzrot. And he brings our Pasuk. In other words, what the Torah did is the Torah legislates that one time a year, war or not, you're going to be blasting a Truah. And that Truah is going to be a Zikaron, a Zikaron of your tremendous loyalty to God. Which, not coincidentally, is one of the key verses in the Zichronot that we read on Yom HaZikron, on Rosh Hashanah. But why is the shofar then not a chatzotzra? Why is the shofar then 
of basic animal because the shofar now becomes part of the people's legacy and it's no longer part of the mikdash and therefore it doesn't take on that mikdash aspect, which is why the Mishnah teaches that when there is a ta'anit, the chatzot are the ones that make the loudest sound and the shofar backs off the sound earlier. On Rosh Hashanah, it's the opposite because Rosh Hashanah now becomes the people's, it becomes for all of us. Now you take a look and see that um, uh, that one last piece, which is that that finds its biggest expression once every 50 years. When we not only have a zichron truah, but we have a shofar truah, the chol artzachem. And that memory of our loyalty to God also reminds us of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And what was Yitzhak Mitzrayim essentially about? And the Yovel, which is the great reset, which brings us all back to the position of nobility, is there to remind us of what life was like when we left Mitzrayim. And so the Chatzot which start out as functional devices to bring the people together and to announce their move, nonetheless carries with it a, a, a statement about loyalty to God, and about recognizing that the Mishkan and our relationship with God is central to our national and to our personal lives. On a national life level, it's the Chatzotzrot. On a personal life level, it's the Shofarot. And so therefore, um, when in later times, we are going to be going to war, or we're going to be bringing Korbanot, which are now the new expression of that loyalty and of that connection and that, and that centrality, we raised, we blessed that last throat in order to be reminded of the original point at which that level of both loyalty and awareness of centrality were part of what we were doing.